Ladies and gentlemen, President Harold Taffler Shapiro, the 18th president of Princeton University, will preside at this, the 252nd commencement of the university. President Shapiro. Thank you. The invocation will be pronounced by Dean Williamson. Dean Williamson. I invite you to join with me in the spirit of prayer. O oh God, who makes all things new, this is the commencement of the rest of our lives. This is the day of beginnings, and we have only begun. We have only begun to know ourselves. We have only begun to love the earth. We have only begun to imagine the fullness of life. We are learning to listen to different minds at work. We have jettisoned our jargon in order to remember what matters most. Our stories are not bland. The marvelous is happening among us. The time is now or never for the rest of our lives. Remind us, Holy One, that this universe is not given us to satisfy our greed or our ambition. We have not survived the last four years that we may waste our days in vulgar vanities. We must come to terms with the strength that is in us. We must learn to engage our minds and our hearts so we may nourish the powers that make for justice and for peace. Let this day of beginnings inspire us with joy and with great expectations. Thanks be to you, O God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It is my pleasure this morning, on behalf of Princeton University, to welcome all of you to campus. I would like to extend a warm greeting to families and friends who have gathered here to celebrate with the graduating seniors of the class of 1999 and with the recipients of advanced degrees from the Princeton Graduate School. May I ask at this time that the parents and grandparents of today's graduates please stand. Thank you. We extend our gratitude for the way you've nurtured and supported these students over the years and also for your faith in Princeton to allow us the great privilege of having your sons and daughters here on our campus. The Latin salutatory will be delivered by Thomas Wickenham Schmidt, a senior from Virginia.
Salvete insignissime praeses Shapiro, et vos omnes professores atque parentes, et condiscipuli mei. Me plurimum juat, quod dignum me habuistis, ut pronuntiam apud vos omnes salutationem latinam, morum unum ex multitudine maiorum. Viteres multi enim mores apud universitatem nostram permanent, cum res non item sese habiant, atque olum quando totum curriculum latine docebatur, et literae C.I.T. tantum citatum significaverunt. Vehementissime, amici mei, ridete. Ita vera. Bene, bene. Ad incentum anos, sesquicenteniali anno, votum fecit praeses Francis Landi Patton, universitatem omnia edificia tantum forma gotica constructoram. Nobis tyronibus huc ingressis, extiterunt dormitoria mobilia. Quaeconiam discipulus perplacuerunt, administratores quoque in mobilia compulerunt, professores studiorum orientalium. Hoc erat in votis, ut aulam nasovicam cum mobili latissimo commutarent, quod anglicae double-wide vocatur. Praefectus pablorum autem huius universitatis comperuit Hortam Fitzrandolph esse angustiorem quam ut mobile eam transiret. Altero anno, prae amore rerum obsoletarum, administratores usum lamparum, ut dicitur halogen prohibuerunt, quod causa ignium essent. Quae cum ita essent, res publica studentium, celeriter noam lucis copiam invenire constituit. Multa proposita sunt, sicut candelae, baces, lucernae, quinetiam instarautio vocorum veterum. Nobis junioribus donationes pisco universitatis Tantae et tam numerosae facta erant, ut universitas pretium tuitionis finiret ad rationem paulo plus quam quator per centum. Anno millesimo non gentesimo non agesimo nono, pretium tuitionis erat, viginti et tria milia, octingenti et viginti numorum. Ab in centum anos, erat centum et quinquaginta numorum. Hoc quoque universitas edixit, ut per noas tabulas, 
facultatem leniorum solvendi debita sineret tenuioribus, quenetiam inter haec propositum est, ut cognatus in nexum venderent. Tu i cognati patasse? Hoc anno, varii sententiis agebatur in opido Princetoniensi, quid opoteret piri de nimia multitudine cervorum in silvis. Inter alia, propositae sunt venationes et cervis feminis parare contra captivas. Administratores simul uno animo diminuerunt nimia multitudinem discipulorum in dormitoriis, aedificando scully aulam discipulosque excludendo quibus deerant quae reserarent proximitate cartae. Ne tamen haec omnia universitati obiciamus, quod tantas res mutavet, nor mut enem poeta noster dixit, multa etsi adempta sunt, perseverant tamen multa. Volete omnes etsit dominis rubiscum et optima fortuna utamini donec reconvocabimur iterum. Anastasia Roman, I'd like to ask you to marry me. Gratias maximas vobis ago. Volete omnes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Always something exciting at commencement. Congratulations to all involved. I would like to introduce now the university's associate provost, Joanne Mitchell, who will introduce this year's winners of the Secondary School Teacher Awards. Professor Mitchell. Each year at commencement, Princeton honors four outstanding teachers selected from the secondary schools of New Jersey. In so doing, we gratefully acknowledge the exceptional contributions of our colleagues who teach in the middle and high schools. I would like at this time to recognize each teacher individually. Please hold your applause until all of the award winners have been recognized. Joseph Amarino.
Joseph Amarino draws young men at Hudson Catholic High School into the world of art, teaching them to see both works of art and themselves with greater sensitivity. His students learn to look beyond the representation of a work of art to its sociological, philosophical, and historic significance, and also to see the clear profile of promise in their futures. Todd Cudgel. A growing number of students at Princeton Day School are learning to love the Pasic Paraphrastic thanks to Latin classes with Todd Cudgel. His gifted teaching not only resurrects what has been called, if unfairly, a dead language, but also gives life to rhetorical expression, sparks an appreciation of the beauty of language, and nurtures the joy of learning itself. Theodora Smiley Lacey. Using lessons learned as a child with Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks in Montgomery, Alabama, Theodora Smiley Lacey has spent her life as a freedom fighter for children. In her science laboratory at Thomas Jefferson Middle School in Teaneck, curricular innovations, collaborative learning, and her own example serve as catalysts for her students' success. Ralph Pantozzi. Ralph Pantozzi is committed to developing the mathematical talent in all students. And he succeeds because he respects their intelligence and because he can shape his teaching to students' ways of thinking and learning. His students at David Brerley Middle High School in Kenilworth learn skills that transform, transform mathematical formulae into the powerful tool of critical reasoning. Please join me in recognizing these teachers' contributions to our society's future. Let me now introduce the Dean of the College and Professor in the Department of History, Nancy Malkiel, who will present the candidates for undergraduate degrees. Dean Malkiel. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for Princeton University's bachelor's degree. Let me remind you at the outset that your diplomas and program certificates can be picked up on Cannon Green behind Nassau Hall at the conclusion of these exercises. We begin with the candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts. Before presenting you to President Shapiro and to the trustees for the awarding of your degrees, I will introduce you informally, department by department. I ask you to stand in place as your department is named, and I ask your families, classmates, and friends to withhold their applause until all undergraduates in each group have been introduced. First, I should like to invite the members of the following departments to stand. English, Art and Archaeology, the School of Architecture, and music.
Please be seated. And now the members of these departments, Classics, Comparative Literature, Romance Languages and Literatures, Germanic Languages and Literatures, Slavic Languages and Literatures, East Asian Studies, Near Eastern Studies, and the Independent Concentration Program. Please be seated. We turn next to the departments of philosophy, religion, and history. Please be seated. Will the undergraduate members of these departments please rise. Politics and the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Please be seated. Now, those students in anthropology sociology, and economics. Please be seated. Will seniors in these departments please stand? Ecology and evolutionary biology and molecular biology. Please be seated. Finally, I wish to introduce the seniors receiving Bachelor of Arts degrees in Physics, Mathematics, Astrophysical Sciences, Computer Science, Chemistry, Geosciences, and Psychology. Please be seated. At this time, all candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts are invited to stand together. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of <coughs> Bachelor of Arts. Autoritati mihi ecuratoribus universitatis princatoniensis comissa vos at gradum primum in artibus ecumenoribus Ut in the Kadamets admito. Congratulations to you all.
Please be seated. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Once again, I will invite you to stand in place as your department is named, and I will ask your families, classmates, and friends to hold their applause until your degrees have been conferred. I invite Bachelor of Science in Engineering candidates in the following departments to rise. Chemical Engineering, Civil Engineering and Operations Research, Computer Science, Electrical Engineering, and Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Admittal. Congratulations to you all. Let me finally invite the entire class of 1999, 1175 strong, to rise as a body. Artists, writers, scholars, athletes, campus leaders, community volunteers, recipients of honors, certificates, and prizes, members of honor societies, winners of fellowships, you have put your imprint on this university and you leave with our warmest congratulations. Thank you. Please be seated. The valedictory oration will be delivered by Chan V. Chong, a senior from Singapore. Fellow graduates, parents, relatives, friends, members of the faculty, guests, it is a great honor for me to be able to address you here today. I have learned a great many things here at Princeton. Unfortunately, public speaking is not one of them. Perhaps this is Princeton's last minute attempt to teach me before I graduate. First of all, I would like to thank my dearest parents and on behalf of the class of 1999, I would like to thank all our parents. Our achievements are your achievements. 
We would not be here today without you, your love, your support, and your encouragement. Thank you. No man is an island entire of itself. There have been many people who have walked alongside us on our way here. Friends who made this journey memorable, who supported us and gave us strength when we were too weak to carry on. Professors and advisors who guided us onto the right path and held the torch that illuminated our way. It fills me with great sadness to think that we will be heading off on our separate ways now. But let us always cherish the companionship we shared and continue to nurture these relationships for years to come. Before we part, let us not forget to thank our friends and teachers. I wish to thank my best friend, Chenny, for walking with me through my years here in Princeton, for listening and understanding, for giving me much needed advice and for teaching me that the most precious thing in this world is not riches, nor knowledge, but true friendship. I wish also to thank my advisor and all my professors for their excellent teaching, helpful advice, and infinite patience. Thank you. When I entered Princeton as a freshman, I came straight from two and a half years of service in the Singapore Armed Forces. I thought then that I would no longer have to suffer the mental stress and sleep deprivation that I had endured in the Army. I was mistaken. I had seriously underestimated Princeton. Since then, I have had my fair share of all-nighters, nights spent writing papers, solving problem sets, computer programming, even running around the engineering school atrium, chasing after a computer-controlled model car which had gone berserk. Life at Princeton is not easy. At times, it can be downright painful. I recall sitting at my desk at 8 in the morning, still working on a paper, not having slept the entire night, and telling myself, I hate my life. I've probably done this a dozen times, yet I survived. We all survived. Standing at the end of the road here at Princeton, I realized that had our journeys here been less rough, less arduous, they would also be significantly less memorable, less worth treasuring. Looking back now, I can honestly say that I am grateful to Princeton for upholding her academic rigor, maintaining an emphasis on the importance of independent thought, and demanding the highest standards from her students. My experience here has been so much richer because of Princeton's exacting demands. One concept I learned here is that of analyzing history in terms of change and continuity. Just as Princeton continues to maintain high academic standards, she is also changing in many other ways. In our four years, we have witnessed the construction of a new stadium, a new dormitory, and various new teaching facilities. The changes that have been important to me, though, are not these physical changes, but the transformation that has been happening quietly to the curriculum of the engineering school. New courses have been introduced on an experimental basis to chart new grounds for curriculum development. I encourage Princeton to continue its efforts in curriculum diversification in the hope that future classes at Princeton will continue to benefit from innovative new courses just as I have. How have I benefited? Two of these courses 
Engineering the Leader, taught by Professor Norman Augustine, class of 1957, and High-Tech Entrepreneurship, taught by Professor Ed Zhao, class of 1961, changed my life. When baseball legend Joe DiMaggio passed away three months ago, many eulogists recalled the words from Paul Simon's song, Mrs. Robinson, of 30 years ago. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? A nation turns its lonely eyes to you. These lines have been embraced over the years as a yearning for heroes and heroism. We need heroes. The whole world needs heroes. We all have ideals, but often they seem so lofty, so intangible, and so unattainable. But heroes, on the other hand, are living and breathing embodiments of our ideals. By their example, they inspire and urge us to aspire to be like them. We think we can because our heroes have shown us they could. I found my heroes in professors Norm Augustine and Ed Zhao, both Princeton alums. Why do I think of them as heroes? Because they possess, among many other important qualities, the spirit of service, having been public servants in the truest sense of the word. Now they devote part of their lives to teaching, inspiring young people like us to be the best that we can be to go out into the world and do not what is expedient, but what is necessary. In short, to be heroes in our own right. I am certain there are many other members of the Princeton faculty who have, in similar ways, been heroes and role models to my fellow seniors. To all these professors, I would like to say thank you on behalf of my classmates. Thank you for shaping our lives and setting us in the right direction. We will not disappoint you. We now stand at the crossroads of our lives, pondering our next step. It is my hope that our Princeton experience has imbued all of us with the moral and ethical principles that enable us to differentiate between right and wrong, principles which will guide us to act with integrity and honor. I hope, too, that our Princeton experience has instilled in all of us the strength of character to do what is right without fear, uncertainty, or doubt. A Princeton education is but a means to greater things. I am not referring to seven-figure salaries or retirement at 40. I am talking about making a positive difference in this world we live in. I wish to share with you a piece of advice that Professor Zhao left the class with during our last lecture. The one focus that has guided him through his career the overarching goal of his life is to live a life that matters. That is the message I wish to share with you. Regardless of where our individual paths may lead us, my sincerest hope is for all of us to live lives that matter. Our parents can proudly claim to be living lives that matter, for we are the physical proof, the fruits of their love and labor. It is now our turn young women and men of, class, of the class of 1999. With our graduation today, we have proven ourselves capable, worthy of being heroes and heroines. It is now up to us to make use of the opportunities available to us in a responsible way to fulfill our destiny and to apply our gifts for the benefit of the world. I would like to conclude with two wishes for our class of 1999. 
Let us not live as if we will never die. Let us not die as if we had never lived. May we treasure all the time we have and treat each and every moment with urgency. And may we be able to look at this world and smile, knowing that the world is a better place because we have lived. Thank you. At this time, I would like to introduce the Dean of the Graduate School, and the Agate Brown and George L. Collard Professor of Religion, John Wilson, who will present the candidates for advanced degrees. Dean Wilson. At this time, we recognize each individual who has qualified for an advanced degree from Princeton University. Let me remind you at the outset that your diplomas may be picked up behind Nassau Hall on the west side of Cannon Green at the conclusion of these exercises. As many of the candidates for master's degrees as are present, please rise in their places. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degrees of Master of Arts, Master of Fine Arts, Master of Arts in Near Eastern Studies, Master of Architecture, Master in Public Affairs, Master in Public Affairs and in Urban and Regional Planning, Master in Public Policy, Master of Science in Engineering, Master of Engineering. Doctora Tati Mihi Acuratoribus, Universitatis Brincatoniensis Comissa, Osat Gradam Secundum at Middle. Congratulations to you all. Please be seated. And will the candidates for the doctoral degree please stand in their places? Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Doctor of Philosophy. Doctoritate mihi et curatoribus, Universitatis Princetoniensis Comissa, vos at gradem doctoris in Philosophia at Bidot. Congratulations to you all. Please be seated. The Doctor of Philosophy degree is the highest regular academic degree awarded here at Princeton, and it marks, amongst many things, an original and independent contribution 
of each of you and each of today's degrees recipients to the world of scholarship. Many of today's PhD candidates and now graduates have already contributed in substantial ways to our teaching and our research program here at Princeton. So I'd ask us all to recognize their contribution achievement once again. Thank you all very much and congratulations. It is a very special pleasure for me to confer the President's Awards for Distinguished Teaching. I want to thank Lloyd E. Coatson of the Class of 1950 and John Sherrod of the Class of 1952, both Charter Trustees of the University, for their endowment of these awards, which enable us to honor today four members of the faculty for a sustained record of excellence in teaching at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. The Dean of the Faculty and James S. McDonald, Distinguished University Professor of Physics, Joseph H. Taylor, will introduce each award winner. Dean Taylor. It is a great pleasure for me to introduce the four members of our faculty who are this year's recipients of the President's Awards for Distinguished Teaching. David Bernstein, Assistant Professor of Civil Engineering and Operations Research. David is not able to join us today because of a previously scheduled commitment. As an expert in the field of optimization, David Bernstein maximizes learning in upper level as well as undergraduate courses. His newly created course in the science of decision making gives students the analytical tools and the theoretical understanding, often through practical examples, to determine the shortest distance between two points, while his ability to communicate clearly to all students teaches them the shortest distance between ignorance and understanding. Victor Brombert, Henry Putnam University Professor of Romance Languages and Literatures and Comparative Literature. Each year for a quarter century, his course on modern European writers has been for hundreds of freshmen the foundation of a lifelong love of literature. To graduate students who work with him as a preceptor or advisee, to colleagues who taught with him or participated in the Gauss seminars that he led, his own engagement with the literature he loves is a powerful lesson in how to read texts closely, a lesson communicated with the skill usually reserved for an operatic tour de force. John McPhee, lecturer in, Council in, in the Council in the Humanities, Ferris Professor of Journalism. Polished, careful, demanding, thoughtful, serious, professional, attentive. Descriptions of John McPhee's course in nonfiction writing by his former students read like a fairy tale ver version of an undergraduate's experience. Yet these alumni are now acclaimed writers in their own right. Moreover, we, his colleagues, who know the exceptional quality and generosity of his teaching, do hereby attest that these descriptions are not works of fiction, but rather prime examples of the literature of fact.
Daniel Rubenstein, Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology, Chair, Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. A rapid-fire Socratic guru, thus his colleagues try to capture the energy, the engagement, and the power of Daniel Rubenstein's teaching. Wicked wits have suggested that leading faculty is like herding cats, and it is conceivable that his research into social systems and strategic decision-making in herd animals accounts for some of his success as chair of the department. What is clear beyond doubt is that to this position, as well as to his advising and teaching of postdoctoral fellows, graduate students, and undergraduates, he brings forth endless good humor and an exceptional commitment to the vitality of scholarship and teaching throughout this university. The University Orator, Robert H. Rossum, Class of 1966, and Chair of the Trustees Executive Committee, will now present candidates for honorary degrees. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws, Honoris Causa, Kofi Annan. consummate statesman, he has mediated international confrontations and internationalized civil wars while quietly working to keep the United Nations united and the world community on a principled course. Experienced in the high political arts of diplomacy and peacekeeping, he is deeply committed to the view that international peace must rest on a firm foundation of social and economic progress. Unpretentious, generous, a listener, and a doer, he is a skillful leader in the service of all nations who gives hope to all those in and out of the UN who seek to reform, renew, and rely on that world organization. Mr. President, His Excellency Kofi Annan. Octoritati mihi ecuratoribus universitatis princatoniensis commissa. Te ad gradem doctoris in legibus honoris causa ad middle. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws Honoris Causa, Oscar Arias Sanchez.
For his country and its neighbors of Central America, he has persistently argued that peace, democracy, and development are indivisible and are central to the stability of all of the Americas. Recognizing that democracy's victory would not be won by a war of arms or words, he sought and found the bases for mutual respect among governments and opposition leaders. He continues to fight for global disarmament, for victory of the ballot over the bullet, and for the basic human rights of liberty and equality so that peace he enabled to take root in his homeland may flourish and spread throughout the world. Mr. President, Dr. Arias. Accuratoribus Universitatis Princetoniensis Comissa, Te ad gradem doctoris in legibus honoris causa ad middle. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Humane Letters, Honoris Causa, William J. Baumel. An early pioneer of mathematical economics, he led exploration into areas as diverse as welfare economics, competition, and the economics of the environment. He has complemented research into the economics of the arts with committed patronage of the arts and personal artistic achievements in painting and sculpting. To those who engaged him in the public sphere, he became a respected advisor. To those who had the good fortune to work with him as a colleague, he often became a close friend. To those who had the privilege of being his students, he became an inspirational guide to that priceless treasure, a love of learning. Mr. President, I have the pleasure to present to you your former teacher and dissertation advisor, <laughs> Professor Baumel. Octoritati mihi, accuratoribus universitatis princontoniensa commissa, te ad gradem autoris literis humanitoribus honoris causa admito. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Fine Arts, Honoris Causa, Phyllis Lambert. <laughs> Architect, scholar, curator, and international activist in the cause of preserving our built heritage, she has been a tireless pathfinder for the promotion and preservation of architecture. This lifelong project began with her advocacy of Mies van der Rohe to design the Seagram Building in New York. She then went on to create, almost single-handedly, the preeminent study center in architecture. Over the course of the last four decades, she has protected our architectural inheritance in her native Montreal and around the world, while through her support of modern architecture, 
she has assured tomorrow's generation an architectural inheritance of diverse and commanding significance. Mr. President, Ms. Lambert. Octoritati mihi et curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis comis te et gradem doctoris in artibus elegantibus honoris causa et middum. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Fine Arts, Honoris Causa, Harvey Lichtenstein. For a third of a century, he has translated his love of the arts into opportunities for artists and audiences to explore new horizons. For over 30 years at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, he has provided an artistic home for some of this country's leading artists, Merce Cunningham, Robert Wilson, Philip Glass, Twyla Tharp, Mark Morris, Steve Reich, Laurie Anderson, as well as for some of the world's best companies, directors, and choreographers, Ingmar Bergman, Peter Brook, Pina Bausch, Singaro, the Royal Shakespeare Company, Théâtre du Soleil. The cutting-edge work he has produced has prepared his audiences to catch the next wave into a new millennium where, as we know, Einstein is already waiting for us on the beach. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you, for the degree of Doctor of Fine Arts, Honoris Causa, Gordon Parks. In print and in photographs, in movies and in music, for over half a century, this multidimensional artist has chronicled the richness of our human experience. Caught in the frames of his photographs, yet moving beyond their two-dimensional image, are the crushing weight of injustice and the hunger of poverty, the swagger of youth, and the warmth of compassion. Through the lens of his camera, we see our lives in sharper focus. Through the story of his own life, we see the courage of the human spirit that allows us to realize the promise of our destiny. Mr. President, Mr. Parks. Octoritati mihi et curatoribus universitatis printoniensis commissa te et gradem doctoris in artibus elegantibus honoris causa admito. President, I have the honor to present to you, for the degree of Doctor of Laws, Honoris Causa, Harold Varmus. 
Lured from literature to medicine in graduate school, he became first a healer and then an investigator, pursuing retroviruses to uncover the oncogenes through which normal cells turn cancerous. Known among his colleagues for his capacity to build consensus in a contentious field, he moved directly from the laboratory to leadership of the institution where his work began. Believing that the mission of the NIH is simply but profoundly, quote, to do great science to further human health, he has urged the nation to increase, increase its investment in the basic research that often finds answers where they were not sought. Setting goals rather than guidelines, he has challenged the scientific community to think creatively about the present and boldly about the future. Mr. President, Dr. Varmus. Doctora Tatimihi Akiratorabas, Universitatis Princetoniensis Commissa, Tayef Gradem Doctoris and Legibus, Honoris Causa, Admittal. Graduating students, distinguished members of the platform party, family, and friends, it is my pleasure and honor to be able to address you on this wonderful and happy occasion. Commencement is always a special moment, not only for the graduating students, but for their families, their friends, their teachers, and all those who have nurtured and assisted them. This year, however, commencement is being held at quite an extraordinary moment because we meet here together on Princeton's historic front campus as the 20th century draws to an end and the new millennium approaches. It is an opportune occasion, therefore, to pause and ponder the human experience of the last century and contemplate what we may do, both individually and together, to forge our future. Looking back at our history and forward to our common destiny, can be an occasion for raising our goals and aspirations and setting out to conduct and construct an even better world. This turn of the century transition, therefore, should be a time of thoughtful social and cultural innovation. I would like to take advantage of this special time of passage to reflect very briefly on some facets of the century that is about to become history and to consider some of my own expectations and hopes for the epochs ahead. On the one hand, I believe that the century we are about to leave can be characterized as one of extraordinary accomplishment and brilliant, indeed unprecedented inventiveness across a wide range of human endeavors. One hundred years ago, not even the most imaginative and far-sighted members of the Princeton class of 1899 could have foreseen such fantastic developments as we have lived through in the 20th century. A kaleidoscope of empires, social and political movements, and new technologies whirled past us through the decades. While the 20th century has manifested an extraordinary inventiveness in art, in music, and in literature, giving us rich new ways to represent and reflect on life's experiences, for many of us, it is the march of science and technology that had the most overwhelming impact on our lives. As we unraveled the mysteries of the natural world, one scientific frontier after another was conquered, and one after another astounding new technologies appeared. 
Previously dreaded diseases were banished, and the material well-being of the peoples of some nations reached previously unimaginable heights. By unlocking the secrets of the cell, the atom, and the properties of silicon, and through the development of scholarship across a wide array of areas, we have opened up a vast new matrix of possibilities for humankind. On the other hand, the 20th century also brought us disappointments as well, for we bore witness to the continuing fragility of human empathy and kindness. Our spectacular progress in scientific understanding was not accompanied by a sufficiently improved understanding and commitment to what is just, what is fair, and what is good, and how we should take other people's interests into account when we act. We showed much less inventiveness in finding ways to live together more peacefully, to share our resources more equitably, or to define moral and ethical values that would enable thoughtful people of all cultures to treat each other with understanding and dignity. In the midst of so much human creativity and achievement, we witnessed senseless cruelty, irrational hatred, insidious oppression and armed conflict, much of it ironically and to me unforgettably carried out in the name of one type of utopia or another. In addition, we can now see more clearly that the spectacular speed of scientific and technological advance in the 20th century has presented challenge after challenge to long-established and even revered customs. Often, in our eagerness to swiftly incorporate the genuine advantages of new technology, we may have too hastily put aside both many traditional ways of doing things and a host of accepted social and cultural norms governing our relationships to each other. It seems that the avant-garde was constantly with us, always challenging established cultural commitments. This constant questioning of existing cultural authority and beliefs and the unintended consequences of so many new initiatives often made us somewhat apprehensive and anxious. As a result, frequently we were unsure whether we preferred the new solution or the old problem. In any case, one of the most common 20th century experiences we all share is that we have grown up in a world dominated by novelty. Never before has a society been so mesmerized by speed and by change. Indeed, I fear that this has caused us to lose the distinction between superficial or shallow changes and thoughtful transformations, and to substitute mere movement for a sense of direction. It might be better if we concerned ourselves more with where we are heading than the speed with which we are moving. It was Emerson who noted that in skating over thin ice, our safety was in our speed. Perhaps in our increasingly interdependent world, our penchant for speed reflects our uncertainty regarding whether the values we share can support the structure of the modern life that is emerging, or whether in this respect, we ourselves are skating on thin ice. I turn now, however, to the matter of what we might expect and what we should hope for for the 21st century. In this respect, I want to limit myself to making two interrelated points. The first point is that many of the important challenges of the 21st century will continue to require the careful articulation of the available options, the exercise of thoughtful judgment, and the courage to act in an uncertain world. There will continue to be no substitute for thoughtful judgment and courageous action 
that are motivated by a desire to help us all more fully realize our human potential. My second and closely related point concerns the increasing urgency I feel to reach out to people everywhere who are willing to engage in thoughtful discourse aimed at understanding and helping each other meet basic human needs. I do not aspire to one government or one way of doing things. Rather, what I hope for is a thoughtful exchange of ideas and approaches whose mutual interaction would allow us all to build better communities and better meet human needs that we all share. The 21st century, therefore, will be one in which it will be critical for all of you to contribute your judgment and your energy to helping us decide where we should focus our efforts. In those countries like America that enjoy the freedoms of a liberal democracy, we have many mechanisms available to bring our individual voices to the debate on how to shape both our individual lives and national objectives. This opportunity is our most precious cultural inheritance, and each of us must grasp the potential it provides to contribute to the ongoing search for values and ethics and for social and cultural arrangements, whether ancient or modern, that would enable everyone better to realize the full potential of his or her own humanity. As graduates of this university, you are a very privileged group. You have earned this privilege, and it will provide you with many opportunities for yourself, but it also requires serious responsibility for others. It will be your special obligation, therefore, to join with other thoughtful people, especially other thoughtful young people, to consider both the achievements and the failures that are part of your broader cultural inheritance and to find the pathways that will move us towards a more humane society as the 21st century unfolds. While much of the detailed terrain of your generation's future remains partially hidden behind the horizon of the currently knowable, you can shape important parts of its contours, and this is both your great opportunity and your deep responsibility. Although there is much about the next century which is difficult to predict, we can safely assume that science will continue to develop at a dizzying pace, creating new possibilities for us all. We can also reliably predict that the 21st century not only will present new issues to deal with, but will inherit older problems with which humankind has been struggling throughout recorded history. I can predict without fear of contradiction that many of these older issues will not be resolved by one more scientific discovery. They will instead require each of you both to think deeply and carefully about the ethical boundaries that should govern our common life and to exercise your judgment when difficult and even tragic choices present themselves. For example, each of today's graduates will have to think about the balance we should build between our own material welfare and the needs of those less fortunate than ourselves and the balance between our concern for our families and our concern about the broader communities from which we are, from which we are members. You will have to puzzle, for example, as many of us have, over our failure to mobilize the truly exciting findings of recent years to protect and nourish our own children. The sad fact is that although science has revealed how the lack of nourishment and support for children limits their physiological, cognitive, and social development, we have not yet mobilized the moral commitment to ensure that all children have a reasonable opportunity to flourish. These are, of course, complex and difficult issues with important moral dimensions. But as the 21st century unfolds, 
we must do a better job of ensuring that as many people as possible have a stake in our common future. Therefore, it is more critical than ever to work with others to broaden the base of our moral and ethical concerns to include larger numbers of people, both at home and abroad. I am convinced it is a time to rededicate ourselves to ensuring that as many others as possible can share in the aspirations we claim for ourselves and for our children. I believe the same technology that does so much to shrink the world gives us an urgent moral task. It requires us to reach out to all those willing to engage in thoughtful discourse regarding how together we can build a world designed to fulfill the human needs and aspirations that we share. In our efforts to establish such thoughtful and mutually empathetic conversations with others, we must always reject any type of aggressive moral imperialism in favor of a strategy of building two-way bridges across which ideas and moral commitments can flow both ways. Successful bridge builders expect that the impact of their efforts will be to change those on both sides of their new construction. To paraphrase Justice Holmes' remark, once we are stretched by a new idea, we never return to our original shape. The bonds that I hope we would build, therefore, would be ones of mutual affection, mutual respect, and mutual responsibility for each other. I am confident that today's graduates are well prepared to respond to such issues and to develop other positive and humane ways of both meeting our older challenges and directing our new knowledge which is certain to come upon us to its most redeeming human use. In just a few moments, you will leave this historic green, and in keeping with our tradition, you will start your own journeys by walking out through Fitz Randolph Gateway as alumni of Princeton University. I hope your years here and your teachers, your classmates, your hours in the library and laboratory, your moments of fellowship on and off the athletic field, and of solitary reflection have given each of you the capacity, the confidence, and the courage you will need for a journey that really matters. As you leave, I urge you to recall Adlai Stevenson's advice 45 years ago to the class of 1954, and I quote, when you leave here, remember why you came, end of quote. As for my own words, may you draw from the spirit of those who have gone before you, and may your lives inspire those who come after you. May each of you find your own way to be in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. Congratulations on all you have done at and for Princeton and all that you now set out to do. I certainly will miss you. Indeed, we will all miss you. But good luck and God speed to you all. Congratulations once again. At the conclusion of the benediction and after the singing of Old Nassau, guests are requested to remain in their places until the platform party and the degree candidates have left the front campus and returned to Cannon Green. The benediction will be pronounced by Dean Morrill. Dean Morrill. Will you please stand? So goodbye which is a contraction, of course, for God be with you. 
God be with you as you march out the Fitzrandolph Gate and step into the next stage. God be with you as you find work which satisfies and delights you, as you find work which has value. God be with you as you form friendships and as you forge communities, as you embrace the mystery of love. God be with you as you broaden your horizons, as you widen your circle of compassion, and as you deepen your sense of responsibility. God be with you. Goodbye. wonder what we're standing here for. <laughs> Do we expect the two students to lead us in old Nassau? Are they here? All right, let's let all the students help me and let's uh, begin. <laughs> this will be a real test. <laughs> Tune every heart and every voice, bid every care withdraw. Let all with one accord rejoice in praise of old Nassau. In praise of old Nassau, we sing hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Our hearts will give while they shall live. Three cheers for old Nassau.